Today we're doing a deep dive with the author of Ultimate Mind Hacking, Why Having a Good Mindset is Never Enough. You definitely don't want to miss this one, so don't you change that dial or drop that phone. We're about to level it up and shatter the mold. Question. In a world where groupthink is the norm, others want what you've earned, and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back, how do you flip the script and level up your business, your money, relationships, your health, your status, and your life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shatter the Mold. Andrew S. Kaplan, really excited to be here with you today. We've got a really interesting guest, a really interesting interview. I recorded this one a little far back, actually, before he even titled his book. So you'll hear in the interview, he had not titled it yet, but the official title is Ultimate Mind Hacking, Why Having a Good Mindset is Never Enough. But before we get to the interview, quick update as always on the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. Thanks to everyone who continues to pick up the book and send in such wonderful feedback, whether it's the five-star rave reviews on Amazon or the five-star rave reviews on Audible or the emails that you send me letting me know how you're liking the content and more importantly, how you're using it. I'm so grateful that the book has recently been featured in Yahoo and USA Today and Forbes. And for those that have not checked out the book yet, you can feel free to head on over to lastlawofattractionbook.com. That'll auto-forward to the Amazon listing where you can check it out in Kindle or paperback or audiobook if you prefer. And if you don't want to pull out your wallet but you want to see what this content is all about and why people are giving it such good feedback, you can feel free to go to youtube.com slash andrewcap. That's where I've got free content devoted to the book, including new techniques, feature LOA expert interviews, and a few other surprises. With that said, let's get to today's guest. Blair Dunkley literally defined life skills coaching as an industry decades ago and is one of the world's foremost mind modelers. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, if you asked him, he'd probably simply tell you that he's a profiler and he changes lives daily, but we're going to let the conversation itself paint a better picture for you. And I have no doubt that we're all going to learn something new today. So without any further ado, Shattered Mold warmly welcomes Mr. Blair Dunkley. Blair, thank you so much for being here, my friend. And welcome to Shattered Mold. Well, thank you very much for having me here, Andrew. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, you know, every time I start an interview with someone, I, I just, it's on aut autopilot, which I'm sure you as a mind modeler can really appreciate. But I tell people, or I tell the guests how excited I am. And the interesting thing as a challenge for me as a podcaster is vetting a guest before having them on. Because sometimes I don't have the luxury of, having interacted with them or having worked with them. But you, this is a totally different situation because sure. it's been a blurry week, but we're probably about, I think, 48 hours removed of me actually getting a look at what you do front row and center because you gave me a profiling session. Yes. So it's, it's really a luxury for me to be able to say without any kind of hesitation or any kind of concern, like, no, this guy's legit and this is the person I want in front of my audience. So one, thank you for being awesome. <laughs> um, but two, because I, you know, people don't really understand that yet because we haven't really got a chance to dive into things. I'm really wondering just to kind of get a foundation here, like what intrigued you about the mind? What pulled you in that direction to begin with that you can pursue it so fervently for decades and really become one of the world's foremost experts on it? Thank you. Um, well, you know what? It all started when I was a kid. It's my mother. Like, seriously, um, going back to mom. And, um, yeah, 
Sorry, I just linked back. She passed away in 2018, so just uh, she was ni- uh, almost 96, like uh, 16 days away from her birthday. Wow. Um, so for turning 96, so she had a good life, and I was thrilled for that. But my mother was uh, a major influence on my life. Uh, she wound up volunteering and doing a lot of things. She was sort of like a Martha Stewart. Uh, before Martha Stewart, she was she had her own TV show and that sort of thing. Uh, or, not, or not her own, but she was on television back in um, the uh, 1970s, 60s, actually, 1960s. God, that goes back. I was a kid at the time. And she decided to volunteer with Canadian Mental Health. And sure enough, it, it, it changed her life. And she, we don't have mental health issues in our family, um, any uh, history or anything. But what we do have is a commitment to give. And she started that while my father, same thing. He was, you know, with the YMCA for decades and my mom with Canadian Mental Health. And uh, yeah, so that got it started. But uh, lots of special little experiences um, do you mind if I tell you a short story here? I'll keep it tight. Yeah, it's about it. me out at a summer camp, and there was a patient from Canadian from Mental Health Services that was at the summer camp that my mom was running. I was about eight at the time. His name was Archie. There's some gross stuff here, which I'll keep down to a minimum. But the gross stuff was he had a big mustache, but he didn't blow his nose well, so it was filled. <laughs> and, and it was in a swimming pool, and flies were buzzing around his mouth all the time. It, it was, ugh, it was gross. But he didn't care because, like, I was in the pool. I played uh, just throw, throwing a, a beach ball back and forth with it. Later that day, I'm sitting down and he's outside and there were a couple of, you know, summer chairs, Adirondack chairs that we, he, he was sitting in one, there was one beside, but the guy was literally insane. He was in a mental hospital for a reason and he was psychobabbling, just making nonsensical language, talking out loud, ostensibly to himself or whatever. And for some reason, I sat down beside him and... I thought I would psychobabble beside him. And I did that. He'd be talking and I in gibberish, and I sort of mapped out the same kind of gibberish that he was saying in my head, and I started talking in gibberish. Just what the hell? I don't know. I was a kid. I didn't know any better. I didn't think I was being rude. I didn't think I was being effective. I didn't think. I just did it, you know, honestly. <laughs> but about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes into that, I, we started getting into this thing where he'd say something and then I'd say something and he'd say something and I'd say something and then he'd sort of interrupt and I'd interrupt back and like we're having a conversation, but it, I, it was nonsensical, totally gibberish. Anyway, like I said, 15 minutes into that kind of conversation, he turns to me and looks at me and says, you know, you're talking crazy. And I went, Holy crow. And I said, yeah, so are you. So like, so what? So are you. And he said, yeah, but I am crazy. (laughs) And I shared that with the psych nurse that was out there. And she said, he hasn't actually talked to anybody in years. Wow. 
Exactly. That was my reaction too. Wow. So you want a, an early event in my life that sort of locked me into, geez, nobody's been able to get through to him, yet somehow, magically, I did. I didn't know what I was doing. But that was sort of a very formative piece of me going, man, the mind is crazy. It's complex. It's deep. It's There's so many possibilities. Mm -hmm. And what happens if some of the stuff, like all the psych nurses, all the doctors, psychiatrists, couldn't get this guy to talk, but an eight-year-old kid sitting next to him for about 20 minutes did. Right. And I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious about your opinion on this, but it's almost like you had an advantage in the sense that you hadn't been told no, or that's impossible the way so many people are by the time they're an adult. You have no idea how you just hit the nail on the head with me. Oh my God, I'm dyslexic. I have a learning disability. I don't like reading. I can read. It's painful. Well, so semi-painful usually puts me to sleep, but I can read and I can force myself to read. I love audiobooks, but I read when I have to. But I don't read that much, but I think a lot. A lot. And so I started taking Life Skills was a program uh, created and um, a lot of research was done four years, or sorry, five years, $42 million um, defined, the government defined 362 core competencies that people have. And right there, you're nodding your head a little bit. And so that's called nonverbal following. Yes. And yes is called verbal following. Uh, <laughs> or, mm -hmm. And all I did is just waited that half second and there it is. It's just predictable but if we remove those behaviors from our language pattern we are confusing the people that are around us who are talking to us because they need that kind of feedback and even if you're talking on the phone you'll be nodding your head you know and you'll be going mm -hmm, yes i understand mm -hmm. yeah. you know and go ahead i'm saying and you can, it's kind of funny because like just through social interaction a lot of people don't know how to pay attention to that stuff but subconsciously they're picking it all up Whereas Absolutely. it sounds like, like you, you're taking it to this new level where you are hyper observant, you understand what everything means, and then you use that to their advantage when you're working with them. Absolutely true. In fact, if you pay attention to people, they have models of patterns, patterns that are modelable. You can make them into little models, and I call them mind models. And words are these thought models. A word by itself has its own unique definition, like effective, mm -hmm. or good, or bad, or right, or wrong. But each of those, good, bad, right, or wrong, drives to a similar area, an emotion-based process to start, yes. to start with. But and that emotion becomes the fuel for the decisions people are going to make. It can be. And is that fuel effective? Mm. So watch the patterns, because good, bad, right, or wrong lead to judgment, even if you're good. Right. Right. But now, we're, we're, do we want saying? to be judging? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. Can, do we always want to be judging? <laughs> wow. 
That is a, you know, this, that could be answered in a million different ways. I, yeah. I would say no, because I would think the judgment in and of itself might be a distraction, but by that same token, it could also be useful. So I know I'm kind of sidestepping and, and straddling the fence of it. So I, I think the word always is a no, but I think there's use in it. Okay. Can I point out that you're smushing? Yeah. So, oh yeah, perfect. So we were talking about this in our session. If yes. you can describe what smushing is so people can probably hopefully spot it in themselves as well. When you take two mind models, two concepts, and you jam them together where they're now inseparable in your mind, just like you did with judgment, because you took elements that are clearly judgmental and other elements that are implying that the usefulness of the judgment, but I would hazard a guess that if I put the word evaluate or effective or evaluate, sorry, evaluate, it would be more effective than a judgment. So you can evaluate and that will get you out of your limbic part of your brain and into prefrontal lobe and you'll be able to break things down and it'll feel better because you'll do the evaluation first and you'll go, oh, that's effective. And that effectiveness hits your brain. It is an emotion, but it hits it from the prefrontal cortex rather than being driven from the uh, limbic system, the amygdala, the emotional center, and then everything lights up from there. Which direction do you want it to go in? Well, most people who are highly effective and successful go prefrontal cortex into their emotions. Sports people do this all the time. They practice, 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 get that whole thing in there, and it's all done through figuring out, watching the tapes, seeing the film, doing it, practicing it, doing it over again, and getting body and muscle memory in. And when they get it down into muscle memory, it starts feeling right. Hmm. They don't even have to think about it anymore, but they drove it from the prefrontal cortex back in to the emotional centers of the brain, which take over more automatically. Right. But what direction do we want to do this? Now, if I'm understanding you correctly for something like this, I mean, obviously for an athlete, there's that clear distinction of physical, like muscle memory, throwing a football, catching it. Right. But it also comes down to making um, positive emotions automatic and making confidence automatic because that in and of itself also bleeds to success. Is that a fair yeah. way of putting it? Yes and no. Um, making it, I, it, it infers that there's... I, I would rather be more specific on that instead of making it. I'd say building it, mm. intentionally building it. Because now what you've got is you've got a way to actually, for lack of a better way, program yourself to feel better, to be successful. But it's right. how you talk to yourself. One of the things I didn't get into is I figured out a language pattern for success just mm. by going and seeing my um, clients that were, well, I had four that were billionaires and I've had a lot that are very wealthy. You know, like they're not billionaires, but worth hundreds of millions. And um, one of the, the billionaires was making a million dollars a day. Just waking up in the morning, he'd make a million bucks that day. <laughs> 360 million a year. So not quite, excuse me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we could forgive him the bad five days, right? <laughs> exactly. Whatever. So that so you figure out the, the language of this. Is this something that's 
that's easy to convey? Like if, if there's a, a clue or a cue that we can give people listening right now, could we, or is it something where it takes a lot of study and a lot of deeper understanding? You, um, you know what? Yes, I can. And it won't be terribly effective because you don't, I could give you the pattern. I can tell you right now it's who, what, what, how, but you don't understand it because it would take me about two and a half, three hours to teach you the question concepts, which is the body, a, a major piece of my research that I did. That part alone took six and a half years to figure out, but I, it's distilled down to a, a one page, but that one page to teach people what everything means and how it works and get the brain to go, Oh yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That mm-hmm. fits. That's what I'm doing. That takes about two and a half to three hours. And And, uh, I'm obviously, I'm bouncing around just because there's so many different things um, to talk to, but I know that you have a a product called Rewiring Your Mind for Wealth. Is that, is this part of like what you're talking about that shows people through that? Yes and no. um, Yes, it does. But there are like 63 mind models in that program, but it doesn't get into the question concepts because you don't need it for wealth, but you need it for, sorry, another product here, but... IBC, igniting the buying conversation. Mm-hmm. You have to understand how that other person's thinking so that you can actually respond to them because it's about questions and hearing their questions. But in wiring, rewiring your mind for wealth, it's internal. And I, get a, I don't get around it, but I, I don't have to deal with it directly simply because there's other ways to get there that are equally effective. So... But there are more nuances for wealth than than a a buying conversation. It's a cleaner thing. It's a smaller area. But rewiring your mind for wealth means you have to deal with, you know, confidence versus self-confidence, which is a mind model. You have to deal with safety versus comfort, which, ah, geez, that one in and of itself. This one is a good one to talk about because safety versus comfort, people smush together all the time. You know, they, they take safety and they take comfort and they go, it's the same thing. And they go, when I'm uncomfortable, I'm feeling unsafe or I am unsafe, not I'm feeling unsafe. They bleed the two together. But if you separate them and people have made hundreds, literally millions of dollars just by making this simple separation. If you're in business and you are recognizing that you're afraid, scared, unsafe to call a prospect or call somebody up to do that, you're not unsafe. You're uncomfortable. Mm, Right. And that comfort is, is about your emotional state of being. Safety, if you ask the vast majority of people, safety will automatically go to, is my physical surroundings safe? Am I safe? Comfort is about, do I feel okay? Not do, do I feel safe? Am I safe? Am, do I, is this, is this building I'm in a safe place to be? Yeah, it's, it's great. No earthquakes, nothing. It's well built, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's safe. That's but a wonderful distinction. It, and also like you were talking about, like even making sales calls, because you think about it, oh, yeah. you know, you're, more uncomfortable, but you're also, there's more safety by doing 500 calls a day. If nothing less than the, uh, the law of averages will mean that money will come in, which is contributing to your survival and your safety, even though it doesn't feel good. 
You're right. Exactly. That's you almost stole the line that I use when I trained that when in sales. Like, uh, oh my God, that is exactly the truth. Nice. And I only recommend a hundred, not five hundred, but a hundred yeah. calls a day, five hundred a week, and you will make a great living every time. No, no qualms. Right. And then learn how to manage a buying conversation, and your sales percentages go up. And, you know, bouncing around a little bit, this is something that I find really intriguing about you because through your work, through the mind models, through this whole understanding, you're not pigeonholed. While you have programs and you have services um, where you're helping people kind of unravel their own nonsense, you yes. also have programs or, or ways by which they can improve their sales. Like one thing that you really told me that, that blew me away in a presentation I heard that prompted me to book the profile and call to begin with was you were talking about how a lot of buying conversations that people have, whether it's in person or it's a VSL or whatever, a lot of people are traditionally taught to sell through pain, where you said the thing that kind of trumps pain and the thing that's going to create a much more potent uh, sales conversation, and I'm paraphrasing, those weren't your words, you said fear. You said fear is the thing that they should be focusing on and not pain. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yes. No, that's an accurate way of putting it. Because at the end of the day here, if you focus on pain, people know how to live with pain. Unless it's that instantaneous pain of putting your hand on a stove on a hot thing and you yank your hand away, well, that's both pain and fear. Mm. But if you think of it, people know that physical torture does not, is not a reliable way of extracting information from a person. But fear, threatening their family, is far more potent than the pain that you can induce on them. Wow. So, you know, obviously it's kind of like a thing where someone being scared of, of, we'll use weight loss because it's such an obvious example. Absolutely. (laughs) Someone who's scared that they're never going to get this figured out, speaking to that is going to generate a lot more sales on average than speaking to someone about just how much it sucks right now that they're not in the shape that they want to be. Correct. Got it. And and on top of that, like, I I am not in weight loss. Okay, I've just lost forty one pounds. Okay, mm-hmm. how did I do that? Over the last year, I applied my mind models to me. Mm. Like I just, I mean, that's what I did. I go my three E's that I basically share this with everybody because they, it's simple for people to get the, these three E's. There's a deep dive that you can do it, but overall most people get, have enough of a definition in the three E's so that it works for them. Superficially, we can take it a lot further, but it's good to just a great beginning. And the first of those three E's is ask to yourself, this is basic question. It, well, the, the first my model is effective versus ineffective. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm doing effective or is it ineffective? For weight loss, is what I'm doing effective or ineffective? Yes or no? Effective. Yes, it's sort of effective. What then? Is it externally verifiable? Yes, because it's all my food. Is it externally or internally verifiable? External versus internal. Next mind model. Okay, last mind model evaluation or judgment where do most people wind up going to the judgment on them and they give up very quickly because of that Mm. but most people will live in the ineffective 
part for weight loss, ineffective internal judgment. Okay, which is if you like the worst thing they can do. Pardon me? Yeah, which is the worst thing they can do. They should be on Bingo. the other side of the spectrum for all three. Exactly. So if you're into effective, externally verifiable, and evaluate so you can get incremental improvement, you're going to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. I love I it. mean, it's, I did. I mean, 41 pounds and counting. I got I four more pounds to go to hit my goal weight. Also, I evaluated every time going along. So in 41 pounds, I had a lot of plateaus in there that I hit. And every time I got to a new low, I bounced. So what, did, what was effective about doing that? Acknowledging my bounce and say, how high do I normally bounce? After two of them, I said, both of them being five pounds, I bet you my average is going to be around five pounds. Sure enough, it's three to five pounds. And then I start going down again. And I drop through that low to a new low. And I, it drops down for a few, three, four days, a week, two weeks sometimes if I'm lucky. And then it bounces up again. It, it it bounces at some point when it bounces. I just totally go. What's effective about that? First of all, I know it. Secondly, it's okay. That's what my body. And in fact, what I found is I, I dated a lady who ran a weight loss clinic briefly, and she said, "This is normal. This is what most bodies do." Yeah. Well, how come people aren't saying this? How come it's not a, a, a loudly screamed out thing? You're going to bounce. You know. Breathe it in, accept it, like it, love it, accept that bounce, don't, yeah. and you're going to plateau in that whole thing. And it's going to be three to five pounds on most things, because that's what I told her. And she said, that's what it is for most people. And most importantly, expect it, because if you expect yes. it and it happens, you're not going to be down in the dumps. You're going to keep doing what you're doing, which you have externally verified and evaluated. It, this is working. You just got to stick with it. Yeah. And so you don't want to give up. I love it. I love it. This actually brings me to um, the the other the other thing that you said a couple of days ago that just it really it's so simple and it's so obvious. But for me, it was kind of like it blew me away, even though I I kind of think I already knew it on some level. But you said that behavior trumps belief. Again, I'm paraphrasing. But he's like behavior over belief. And I just want to open the door or the floor for you to kind of speak on that a little bit, please. OK, great. Well, back in the day, um, I'll really tighten this up. Anyway, my dad went into a coma. You guys don't need to know what uh, open heart surgery, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short is he went into a coma and I was trained as a mind, um, as a life skills coach, life skills coach trainer. And I was a trainer in training at that time. And I was also trained as a mindset facilitator. Um, I was at life skills college and training people up on life skills, and mindset. And what happened to me was when my dad went into a coma, I lost my mindset. Like, I had a great mindset. I thought it was unshakable. I'd been practicing. I'd been on for four years, nonstop, until that happened. And then my life blew up. And so many pieces of my life came apart. And my mindset fell apart. Mindset is based on belief. Anyway, I went back to my trainer and she said to me, Blair, let's walk you through some things. So for about an hour and a half, she went through the same lessons and and sets of behaviors that she 
had me go through or, or models to try and get my belief back and believe in myself and to, to get that. And none of it worked because hmm. I did the same thing to myself earlier because I needed it back. It just didn't work. And then she had the audacity to tell me, you know, Blair, you just don't believe enough. And I go, I can't swear here, but it was the F-bomb. Oh, and you can swear, by the way, if you want to. Oh, <laughs> feel okay. free to add that. fuck you, and I gave her the bird. You know? <laughs> so, so I went, and I never spoke to her again because I, I was at Life Skills Colleges. 80% of our students at Life Skills Colleges, and sometimes more, were potentially suicidal. We had 100% of our, our students referred to us by government agencies, all because they had some kind of mental health or um, social services issue, chronic unemployment, usually with decades of unemployment and families, generational unemployment and mental health issues all thrown into the mix. We had the worst, the worst. Mm. And we had a 76.2% success rate. Wow. Yeah. Because most people, if they're lucky, got as high as 25%, but usually in our competitors' programs, 2 to 12%. Anyway, so these things work, and this whole construct here of recognizing belief, because right there I knew belief did not work. Now, life skills, the research done there, sort of had belief and behavior. It wasn't well-defined. It was sort of like you need both. But which do you, do you lean on? You lean a little bit more on behavior, but beliefs could be good too. They didn't do the research in that area. Mm-hmm. But when it happened to me, I did research on that. I came up with belief systems. That was 17 and a half years of additional research. Wow. So yeah, and it is absolute. You can shift beliefs only when pre-existing behaviors are in you or they won't hold. Yeah. You know, now, you okay. can fake it briefly. Like if you go to um, uh, one of the gurus out there and you get all pumped up, I bet you dimes to dollars you can't maintain that past 72 hours. Yeah. That's, that's actually that's one of the things I'm, I'm solving in, in my book. I understand. And it's interesting to hear you say that because for me, it's like the behaviors, if anything, will, will lead to the things that reinforce the beliefs. Bingo. You know, it's like that'll come first. Well, and, and they will be the things that create the beliefs, Mm. not the words. I believe, I believe, I believe that doesn't create the belief that doesn't create the neural pathways in your brain that creates a pattern, a language pattern of saying I'm successful. But how many times have you met somebody who says I'm so successful, I'm this, I'm that, and they have all of this positive talk going out to the world and they are Sorry, but they're failures. Their their life sucks. When you look at it and you get up close and personal, they don't have a great life. Right. They fake a great life, but they don't have one. Because they weren't doing the behaviors, which leads to the greatest life teacher, which is experience in and of itself. Bingo. And experiential learning is the number one best way to learn. Mm-hmm. We do that as a baby. We use mimicry. Experiential learning is called mimicry. We mimic. The second best way of doing it is using compare and contrast. And that's how come almost all of my mind models are, you know, 
safety versus comfort, ask versus tell, you know, clarity versus certainty. All of these are things that you need to get clear in your life so you don't smush them together. And most people are walking around with smush stuff. The really funny thing is when you talk to somebody else, you can see it really clearly for somebody else. Yeah. But you're smushing it for yourself because you don't have the definitions and you can't test it. But there are ways to actually look inside and externally verify yourself for yourself by yourself. Mm. That takes that takes more time than, we, than we, we've got. Yeah, but I mean, I imagine that takes a lot of it takes work. It takes a lot of introspection and understanding of the way the mind works. I would argue that it doesn't take a lot. It takes specific. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's a generalization, and I and it's general versus specific. Another mind model. I go after specific. So what are the specific things? Because these things are, you know what? Uh, You love this word when we were talking before. I'm going to throw it out again, obnosis. It's Mm. about noticing. Actually, the guy that that shared that word with me was um, the dean of Kwantlen University College um, Psychology Department. He, He ran the thing. And I taught him a counseling methodology called operant effectual counseling. It's a counseling methodology that I can work through with people. Believe it or not, you don't have to believe it, but I can do it. And I've taught it to thousands of people. Uh, literally in two to five minutes is an average counseling session from never meeting them to being done. Okay. And letting them go. And I teach that to people. Now, the bottom line there is, how do you do that? Well, you have to notice specific things in their language pattern. Once you have that pattern recognition, then you don't have to tell them anything. All you have to do is ask them questions to keep them within the two curves. And that is what, um, you know, Dean Warren, that's his name, Phil Warren, um, said, Blair, this is so effective. This is unbelievable. I teach counseling, taught it for 25, 30 years at the colleges that I've been in. And, I've never seen anything like this, and it's worked. Like, it just worked on me. Yes, sir, it did. said, you know, Blair, what you do, that's obnosis. And I said, what's this? Obnosis. And he said, I said, so what is that? And he said, obnosis is noticing, not the merely, or not not the obvious, not the merely obvious, but the incredibly obvious. Hmm. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's, to, it's like noticing air. It's like noticing gravity. We all know that air and gravity existed, but before we figured out that there's air here, yeah. we knew that there was wind, but, you know, air, gravity, like it's just stuff that always exists. The nose on your face also exists, but you don't see that unless you're in a mirror, or have a picture or something like that. You can't see yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about when, when you were teaching this to me, <laughs> and even afterwards, it's, um, and, you know, me being an author, and I'm going to ask you about your book in a minute, but it's almost like, you know, you write your own book, and you go to proofread it, and the first time you proofread it, you spot 100 errors, but by the fourth time you're going through, your brain is completing the sentences for you, you're not even reading the words, because it's right. just, the assumptions are there, it's so obvious, but you don't even see it anymore, and even right. to this day, someone will still report like a little typo in my book that I should have spotted a long time ago, but it's too late for me to look at it now. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's, that is obnosis. Your brain fills in the blanks. It is designed to do that. It has to do that. 
So it was very good for people to understand this and know this about themselves because only through that understanding can they try to do something about it. And not judge themselves, but evaluate and say, how might I do this differently? Mm. And by just asking that one simple question, they could go, oh, geez, maybe I could go to Fiverr and hire a a proofreader. That's simple. Yeah, and it's done. (laughs) I love it. You know what? What I do is I hire two or three. Yes. And that's what I do because I know that they're not, they're going to do exactly what I did. Their brain's going to miss something too. And by I the time that. I get through the, you know, second or third, I have a near perfect book and still people find mistakes. <laughs> it's just, just the way it's going to work out. Speaking of which, I understand that you've got a book on the way. You haven't even titled it yet. But I want to ask you, like, what is the subject matter? Where, what direction are you taking this in? Well, as we, you sort of found out that, and earlier on this, this interview, I, I'm passionate about clarifying the myths about mindset. Mm-hmm. And mindset does not work as argued as sold. It is not the thing that fixes all these things. I have met so many business owners, entrepreneurs, people in life in general, who have tried to get a great mindset, that something has happened to them, some kind of tragedy or difficulty or situation where their mindset wasn't able to help them, and then their entire mindset breaks, like mine did. And so what I decided to do is I got to write this injustice. This is not right. So I wrote my book about 23 unhealthy ineffective mindsets that people have. And I fix those mindsets with 16 specific mind models. Nice. And it it just, it breaks it down. And I show you, here are the things. Now, I don't dive into the mind models, just a caveat here. It's enough to get you started, but it's not a deep dive into each of the mind models. Because that would take... I don't know, 500-page book. This is like a 70-page book. It's quick read. It's going to be cheap, you know, inexpensive um, when it comes out. I want the information out. But it does link you to a 16, those 16 mind models, including question concepts for this type of stuff. Question concepts work great on yourself. So um, that and 15 others are there in a program I've put together. I love that. You can do that. And just become a member and use it. And it, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how people receive the information because, like, a lot of people are—they're so sold on the idea of mindset, where you know, it's—it's it's not even saying like mindset is complete crap and it doesn't help, but it's more it, no, it like, yeah. I—I like, I just want to be absolutely clear: mindset is better than nothing, but yeah. mindset is over one hundred years old. It's a freaking antique by definition. Yeah. And and what I hear you say, and it's kind of like that old, I don't even know if he said it this way exactly, but it's like that old Mike Tyson line where everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And it's yeah. kind of like your mindset is only as good as it holds up until something really rocks your world. And then you find out if it's really a solid mindset or if it's on shaky ground where it would have been better to hopefully maybe inst- install behaviors and another way to really make sure that it was reinforced a lot better. You betcha. Because... Again, so like Mike Tyson or boxing, those guys get hit in the face and they already have their muscle memory so programmed to fire a punch back when they're being hit. 
90% of the time. If they're not using their, their arms to block it, they're punching back. Yeah. And if that is an example of behavior over belief, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, boom, they don't even think about it. Yeah. Another example of behavior over belief. Well, like, okay, this is a behavior that you can do. Like ski racers, like Olympic racers, song, whatever, they're going down and you'll see them visualizing at the top of the hill. Visualizations work great, but you'll also see them moving their body slightly, which is the behaviors of skiing the course before they go down the course. That's not belief. They're thinking it through. That's behavior. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, believe in yourself. They're believing in this. No, that's behaviors because they're externally verifiable. It's not just, oh, I think I'm going to do really well today. Or, wow, look at me. I believe in myself. I'm very confident. Yes, I have self-confidence, but there's a difference between confidence and self-confidence. Confidence is others identifying your successful use of skills, attitudes, and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Self-confidence is you self-identifying your own successful use, your own successful use of skills, attitudes, and behaviors. When you take on self, when you take on, you know, the, the, the self-confidence and you learn the three E's and you do effective self-evaluation, the only outcome that you wind up with is being able to build self-confidence. Love it. But you have to know this, this, I told you, the threes, you got to get it at a deeper level. Well, this is that deeper level. That's where it can lead to. And you got to know how to test yourself. Right. Cool. So it's obvious you are, I mean, you're going, you're going all out and you're really putting yourself out there. And I know that, you know, you'll let me know if I'm, I'm not phrasing this right way, but there's, you know, it's, not anyone could hire you. You you were expensive and you've got the years and expertise to back it up. But I also know that this is why you're making this concerted effort, for example, to put the book out so people can access it. And this is why, you know, you've got rewiring your mind for wealth available. And I also want to ask you about IDC. Like, what is that specifically? What does that do? Who's that really for? Well, it's for salespeople, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, business owners who want to change their sales um, numbers, literally. It, it all comes down to numbers at the end of the day. I was brought into one of my client companies and they had a uh, sales training done by a nationally recognized sales training firm. Um, basically traditional sales training, up to date as you can get all yada, yada, yada. Like it's not bad, but for three years in a row, their sales had been for, for absolute cold call sales was a 10%. That was their numbers. I'm mm -hmm. just reporting back. So they replaced them, bought, brought me in. And in six weeks, by changing it from a sales conversation to the little bit of training that I could instill in the team at that point for having buying conversations and just switching them over, we had a 20% increase. Wow. Now, that's pretty good because that went for, in six weeks from being stalled for three years at 10%, no real movement, up, down, like I think it was 10.7 something, you know, was their highest. And it was just, just going sideways. Well, 
breaking through by the 2%. We got up to 12%, which represents 20% increase. Yeah. So, which is true. That's exactly what it was. But and any real entrepreneurs understand how significant that is. It isn't just two little points. That is real when you're going in volume and you're trying to make something happen. Well, that's not the best number. So mm. four months later, after training everybody else out the previous year with that, that other sales company, they did their record year. True. It was a record year, 1.2 million on their 450 person. Well, they had buying units. They call them buying units. People in companies or groups that could make a purchase of the training that they were selling. And um, that was very good. But that 1.2 million, that was their new record. They also had a 35% refund rate with Mm -hmm. the next year I came in, but we only had 350 people in our buying units in the audience yet we sold 1.9 million and the big number here is and it went from 35 percent refund rate to two percent two percent wow that is a big number that's life-changing for a business oh absolutely because people do not want to be sold. They can be sold. Don't get me wrong. They, people, you can sell people shit. They'll buy it. Okay? Right. But when people buy, the refund rate drops. It plummets. Think of yourself. Think of you going off to Costco or any other store that you walk in and you buy something. Okay? You only take it back if it's torn uh, or not torn, but not fitting you correctly or a manufacturer defect or whatever, because nobody's sold you on it. Right. Okay. Yet if you have a salesperson, you'll have buyer's remorse. But if you're not sold, you don't have buyer's remorse. Right. This, uh, this reminds me, I'm, I'm really glad I asked you about IDC because this reminds me of a com- like the other conversation when that was had the other day where this is, if I remember right, this is about choice versus decision. Bingo. And someone making a decision, that might be a higher refund rate than someone who's making a choice. Bingo. In, in almost all sales processes, well, I'll say almost all, but in all of the sales processes that I've looked at, and I haven't looked at all of them, but a lot of them, it always comes down to you've got to get your person in front of you, your prospect, to make a decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I go, let's throw that model out. How come? Because decision-making, people feel locked into a decision. And most people want to push back from feeling locked in or trapped. And that's one of the big tells when you feel sold. It's like somebody's pushing you to make a decision. Make up your mind. Choose. Pick. Make it happen. Even if I use the word choose, it doesn't matter. But if I go at it this way and go, what if my focus here is to help you make a choice? Hmm. And I don't care whether or not you buy or not. What happens to that conversation? Right. Who's feeling like they're the most important person? And the most powerful person. Exactly. It's the prospect in front of them, of that person who's now igniting a buying conversation who's now and what i call them are ignition coaches not salespeople. Mm-hmm. they ignite coach they coach people through a decision that encompasses problem solving yes decision making but it's got to be an empowered 
problem solving and decision making process. So they feel empowered, not pushed. Nice. And that that's great. That's great. And on top of all that, I know that you also, again, you're to an extent, you're making yourself available to do profiling for people, which I certainly benefited from. Yes. And um, I don't want to, well, I don't want to give away your secret sauce, <laughs> one, and also I don't even want to put too much about what happened, but I will tell people that you really helped me identify a specific level of perfectionism that I was suffering through in a specific business that I was choosing. So um, it was a wonderful revelation that I, I was almost already aware, but you kind of like laid it out in a way that really hit home that I needed to hear. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Yeah. And you know, with that in mind, I'm sorry. Yeah. You were great to work with. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, (laughs) you know, believe it or not, that's something that's important to hear because you know, it's, it's good to know when you're open and receptive to an expert helping you. Cause a lot of times if people aren't doing that, then it's a waste of both people's time. So that's actually very good to hear from you. Thank you for that. You're more than welcome. Awesome. So, you know, obviously when I put this interview up, I'm going to, we'll talk and we'll put some links up for people to find out more about you, but just off the cuff, like, is there one or two links that you think are most appropriate for people that want to find out more about you, what you do and and learn more and connect? Um, Definitely. You can reach me the, the most popular. Well, I don't promote any of my links yet, but the most common one that people can find me at is going to be um, rewiring rewiringthemind.com. So it's just rewiringthemind.com. All one word. I was thinking about putting www dot. So <laughs> I, I used to do that too. <laughs> Should I say that? Oh yeah. Well, anyway, it's rewiringthemind.com. Nice. And, and I will just tell for people listening, um, yeah. you're, it's, it's when you're the expert, you can't just be like, here's how great I am. I think people need to understand how, I think, they should not underestimate how great you really are and the, the kind of pedigree that you brought to the show today and that you've brought through these decades of experience. And I'm hoping people will know to even listen back to this episode and take notes because I purposely threw two or three, maybe four things out there that are nuggets of gold, but you obviously threw a lot more on the fire there. So thank you for that. And I really, I'm excited for the people that will be able to take this and make what has been conveyed today actionable for them because again behavior over beliefs so um, i'm so grateful the one i guess last question i figure i'd throw at you here you know and this is a very loaded and very generalized question um in unfairness to you but since there's so many different people listening and so many people wanting to improve themselves in some way shape or form what is the best piece of advice that's just coming to you right now or just the best insight or wisdom that you would want to share with people listening right now um That's a big question. Yeah. My, my only gotcha question of the whole day, right? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and uh, it could be anything. It's more like what came no, into no, mind. I've got like four answers here, which I'm trying to make sense of in my it. brain. So <laughs> one of them is take action. Mm. And then the second one is test. Make it externally verifiable. Like taking action is fine. But there used to be a saying, all right, there still is, ready, fire, aim. Mm. If you don't know anything and you've never done anything, that's a great one, but it's a one-time, one-and-done scenario. If that's how you're running your life, you're going to stall out because it's 
the only time is the first time to begin that process because taking an action when you don't know what to do, I always recommend people doing something. And that's ready, fire, aim. Because you can evaluate that. Now, the second piece is evaluation versus judgment. If you judge it, you're screwed. Okay? You got to know how to evaluate. Mm. And if you're just doing everything on gut feel, you know, get away from the pure gut feel, but trust it. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's like this contradictory statement I'm making, and I know it. Gut feel gives you information, but until you know how to filter that information into externally verifiable evidence, because the gut feel always is driving you towards information, not towards, oh, I feel good. Oh, I'm going to do more of that, or I feel terrible, or I'm going to do that. Like safety versus comfort. I don't like calling people, but yet when you do, you make money. Okay? So it's how you evaluate that. And one of my, my long time, well, now my best friend, Darren, who's been a long time, was a long time client and turned into my best friend. My two best friends are both in their thirties and I'm 65 and they're like 34 and 33 or 34 and 35, whatever. Anyway, they're in their thirties and they're both multimillionaires. One, what Darren was a self-made millionaire when I met them. Tyler, no, not so much. <laughs> he was barely making it by. And, um, but the bottom line here is I taught them both how to take that emotional thing and recognize it and know how to hone the direction and change how they judge themselves into an evaluation that was effective, effective versus ineffective externally verifiable and a pure evaluation and both of them like jesus they're making money like darren's making money hand over fist Mm. high multiple six figures a month passively how many people do that like tyler eight figures a year easily you know, and looking to do more. All, most of it on autopilot now. Not exactly passive. He, he needs to check in weekly. But Darren, nah, he's got the entire company. He doesn't even need to check in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just makes him money. I love it. So, I mean, I those it. are those things. And like, I'm just taking it back to that. So it's effective versus ineffective, internal or external versus internal, Uh, evaluation versus judgment, and then simply go back to that basic thing. And emotions are great when you can move them into your prefrontal cortex. The last thing here is there is stuff like Mike Dillard had a limbic loop trauma. Some of your listeners may know who he is. You can look him up online. You can research Blair Dunkley with Mike Dillard, and I teach a mind model that Mike says saved his life, where he had a limbic loop trauma. His brain was firing adrenaline 24-7. Wow. It burns you out. It literally yeah. burns you out. And so what happened was 
I taught him a bunch of mind models, but this one in particular that I, he had me teach on a show for his podcast. And, you know, it, he says it changed his life. And he saw like eight, 10 doctors and tried all kinds of therapies. And he tells, talks to you about that in there, in that whole thing. And the, the week before he brought in all of his medical team and did an interview with them. And then next week, the guy who saved his life, according to him. So, yeah. And, you know, Mike is a brilliant guy and a hard worker, but also like you're talking about, like he had a brain injury and he used yeah. this. So imagine people that don't have an injury, they can use these same models, what it's going to do for them. Exactly. It's big stuff. It can change. It changes lives constantly, way more predictably than mindset. I love it. Blair, I want to thank you for opening this door for the listeners. And, you know, I imagine like, obviously my listeners are going to hear this. I'm sure it'll come to a point where people that are already familiar with you are also going to hear this. And I just want to thank you for having this conversation, sharing these insights and also caring. It's all, I mean, luckily I've never really identified a guest that didn't care, but it's also sometimes just so obvious and in your face when a guest really cares. And I want to thank you for caring so much and for throwing so much passion into answering these questions because the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you, know, I was so excited to have it, was there is, there's something here for everyone to really gain from exponentially just by dipping their toe in the pool to say nothing of diving in. So thank you so much for, for being this person and sharing this with us. Andrew, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is an honor and a privilege to be able to spread this and share this. And you've been such a gracious host. And it's fun. If you ever want to do it again, I'm in. <laughs> Don't be surprised. I might come at you. <laughs> okay. I'm good. I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you again, Blair. I really appreciated that awesome, insightful interview. Guys, you definitely want to check him out. Now, he mentioned rewiringthemind.com, which I will have in the YouTube video description if you're watching it in that format, or at shatteredamoldpodcast.com where this interview resides, but I'm also including ultimatemindhacking.com as another link. That's going to go straight to check out his book, where as of right now, I think you can pre-order it right now. Also, as long as I'm giving out websites, quick reminder, you can go to lastlawofattractionbook.com if you want to check out my book, The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read, or you can head on over to youtube.com slash andrewcap if you want to check out the free content devoted to the book. With that said, thanks again, Blair, and thanks to everyone here listening. I've got more awesome guests on the way very soon, so stay tuned, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Shatter the Mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold.